Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Welcome back to PR360. My guest today on this episode is David McAlpine, the Executive Director and Global Head of External Communications at Illumina, a biotech company that develops, manufactures, and markets integrated systems for the analysis of genetic variation and biological function. I should never write myself sentences that long. As a news report producer, I'm sure you're sitting there going, what's he doing to himself? Uh, uh, David has also worked as the Director of Broadcast Media Relations at General Motors and as a producer for CBS and Fox News. David is a passionate internal and external DE&I advocate who also speaks Spanish and French with professional working proficiency and also speaks and understands some German, Portuguese, Arabic, and Czech. So, uh, David, is there anything I've missed? <laughs> no, no, it's very comprehensive. Yeah, that's that's our job here. You're now yeah. you're not not allowed to do anything else in life because it's already filled. <laughs> so I, I was just wondering, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of kind of understandings people get when they learn multiple languages. Like you kind of learn mm-hmm. a new way of thinking about the world. Uh, do you think that has helped you as someone as a as a mass communicator be more effective? Yeah, I think, um, you know, part of it is it opened me up to a lot of opportunities globally. You know, when I worked in TV news, I've been around the world and back and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it was fantastic. Um, you know, and, and it shows you just how different cultures operate, how they consume news differently, how they consume information differently. Um, and now, you know, my role at Illumina, I'm in charge of all of our global external communications. So, you know, when my lead in Asia says we need to adapt this to how we do it in Japan, or, you know, we just opened off and uh, we just opened up an office in India and I was meeting with journalists there and how they interact is very different than I would interact with journalists in the UK. Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, my natural um, love of languages and the travels that came with it really exposed me to how people around the world interact differently. And so yeah. you're able to see things, you know, like you said, in kind of a new way, it's, it's all about understanding that even though we are one world, we all do, work a little differently and and you have to adapt the messaging too to make sure that everyone understands what you're trying to say in the most effective way. Okay. So uh, let's let's get back to you're talking about doing a press conference in India. Mm-hmm. So how does the press work differently in India than say the United States? Well, so, you know, they uh, you know, you have to you really want to invite the journalists to come along for a whole experience. Um, you know, and it wasn't necessarily a, here's a good point. It wasn't necessarily a press conference. It was more of a press experience. It was a walkthrough of the lab. It was, you know, showing them really what was going on, you know, genomics in general, like you mentioned in the intro, it's not something that comes to top of mind right away. The life sciences can be a complicated topic to explain to people. And so I, I'm a visual person. I worked in TV for 10 years. And so I tried to get people to see, you know, this is the machine that we do things on. And, you know, when you think about things like Alzheimer's, cancer, all these big problems that we're trying to solve, this could be one of the ways that we get to that solution. And when you try to connect this giant, cool looking box that we make or one of the boxes that we make with these big solutions that we're trying to solve, you can start to see the wheels 
in people's heads turn and click a little bit more. But you know, in the US, especially when you're working with the business media, a lot of it is who's the executive you're talking to. Who's the most important person? You know, am I getting access to them? Am I knowing, you know, the earning statements and the, you know, and and why did you do this and getting the context and the backgrounders? In India, it was very simple. They wanted to be invited, they wanted mm-hmm. to be respected and they wanted to come to the place where, you know, we were doing the stuff and be walked through what's going on. You know, right. they wanted to be hosted. And and it was just a different way of communicating what we were trying to do. Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Illumina is, is working on unlocking the human genome. And that's a big story. Um, mm-hmm. What's the hardest part about communicating such a big, broad story to the rest of the world? Right. So, you know, our, our mission is to, um, how to how to better human health through the power of the genome, right? But human health can mean so many different things. And what's great about the company is we have so many people working on so many different facets of human health. Is it infectious disease? Is it cancer? You know, is it, um, is it rare disease? Um, that's the thing about genomics is it can really help so many things at once, but it's the application of it. It's the sequencing of your DNA because, you know, your DNA is a bunch of letters, Right. Yeah. It's four letters that, you know, yeah. have a huge meaning. And the more that we know about how those letters come together in everyone's body, the more that we can, you know, develop precision medicine targets and actually develop personalized therapies for people who are struggling with diseases or conditions that we can't solve now. But it is a very conceptual idea right now you know it's not reality it's funny because i grew up going to disney world and so you know you go to tomorrowland right and everyone's like oh this is the vision of tomorrow and i kind of work in tomorrowland right now i mean it is real Mm -hmm. it's real today you know we are people can get their genome sequenced today but it's just not a reality for everyone in when they go to the doctor no one's getting suggested that they get their genome sequenced um, you know, it's, it's still kind of far off in terms of widespread adoption. So yeah. it's difficult to, for people to get to, you know, Hey, in 20 years in 10 years in 30 years, the thing is, we don't know a timeline. We're just trying to right. get to that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's hard for people to see what could be when they see what is now. And also, you know, candidly in the U S we're working with a healthcare system that doesn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's, it's really difficult for a company to come in and say, Hey, we're going to improve this a hundredfold. Right. And for people to believe it. (laughs) So that's that the idea is the tough part. I get it. Yeah. And um, it's yeah, that's an interesting thing. It's like uh, I can barely get to see a doctor, let alone have my genome scanned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, do you think that given developments with A.I., do you think that maybe that we might have some big, quick revolution in genomics where suddenly bring, bringing in this new technology into the fold, uh, you'll, you'll have a kind of a, a geometric expansion of this type of knowledge? Or um... I like that geometric expansion. I like that. I like that term. Um, I think I, I could see it happening. So we at Illumina work with AI already. We had an announcement earlier this year um, where we've been developing AI solutions to help use existing data to try to predict what future data will hold um, using genomes of primates who are very closely related to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and interestingly enough, don't have any racial bias. <laughs> you know, we have, we have racial bias in the human, uh, in the human species, but in primates, they don't. So it was really interesting to see how they use that data to predict future outcomes. Um, I honestly think AI is going to change everything. You know, yeah. I, um, I'm starting my MBA this month. 
And it's, it's yeah. super interesting to see different people from different industries and how they use AI, but the overlaying um, tenor is that AI is going to change the world and we have yeah. to figure out how to use it appropriately. Um, and I really think, you know, we're looking at like the second wave of the internet boom, right? We saw once mm -hmm. everyone got on the internet, everything changed, right? Like we right. were all more connected, information was flowing quickly. And I really do think AI is going to allow us to streamline our jobs. And I'm talking across, you know, the whole business. I think it will streamline jobs and I think it will allow us to tap into research potentials that might've taken, you know, a much longer time. You know, I, I hear from our R and D team all the time, how exciting AI is. Mm. And I'm, I just, I think it's the way of the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people on this show from a whole bunch of different kind of uh, parts of the communications field. And they all see, you know, different applications and different reasons why it's going to completely, uh, obviously improve a lot of things and then also disrupt mm -hmm. things to the point where it's going to be a lot of people without jobs. And, um, as someone who's a professional writer, I'm like, oh, no, this thing, well, it's like, uh, you know, but. Yeah, I think I think you have to know how to. I, I don't think that AI is going to replace communicators because at yeah. the end of the day, there are so many complicated things that we as communicators and writers do. So many things that we have to distill and break down that a com uh, computer won't know the nuances of. Right. You know, I'm right. constantly thinking in my head, OK, we have uh, we have shareholders, we have employees, we have future employees, and then I've got everyone at the company, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes a human brain to really think about how am I trying to write for all four of those audiences or do I need to, you know, change the messaging based on where it goes? I, I really don't think that a computer will get to the point where, the, I mean, and you know what, an AI engineer may argue with me that it will, but yeah. I genuinely think that nuance is something that we're still going to need a human to have to do it. And so, you know, I... I, I, people tell me all the time, like, oh, my gosh, your job's going to get taken away because AI can write press releases. I'm like, yeah, but they can't write good press releases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what people that I've spoken to, yes, they will, uh, an AI will knock out, like, a, a reasonable press release, and then a great communicator can then come in and uh, mm -hmm. add all the nuance that's necessary. Right. Uh, so uh, getting back to what we were talking about, genomics, um, what's the most important thing that the public doesn't understand about genomics? Well, I think it's, I think it's the power, right? And it's, it's the power of data. And we're moving into this, this, this world now where the same thing in the line of, line of AI, data is king. And, yeah. you know, what we're trying to get to is, and this is ideal state. So again, I'm saying like, you know, in the future, you go to your doctor, you get your genome sequenced from head to toe every year as part of your physical. They can then scan for, everything that we currently know about the genome, right? So ideally we'd know something about markers for rare disease. We'd know about markers for cancer. Um, you know, we'd know about markers for any other type of ailment that could afflict you. Then, you know, you can take those sequences, those exomes, the, the parts of the genome, send them off to insert pharma company here. They develop a personalized therapy for you. You take that personalized therapy. Ideally you're better in two to three months. Then you go back to the doctor a year later and it's not, you know, then it's, it's ideally not there anymore. Now, our, our DNA is changing all the time, you know, based right. on tobacco, alcohol, sunlight. You know, we, we can't affect how our DNA or we can't stop how our DNA is changing. We live our life, right? That's, <laughs> that's how we age and that's how our DNA mm -hmm. changes. So, you know, it's, it's all about managing health. 
Um, and I, and I, when I tell people like the power of, of the genome, everyone's like, wow, like, why don't we already do that? And I'm like, well, it's a really complicated way to get there. You know, you have insurers, you have payers, the healthcare system is very complicated to navigate. And, you know, like you mentioned, there are plenty of people in the U S and around the world who don't have access to a doctor alone, Yeah. let alone like access to precision medicine. So I think, you know, it's, it's the, the power of genomics and what it can do for everyday lives is something that I try to get across every single day. And I wish more people knew about it and we're trying to get pe- more people to know about it. But, mm. um, you know, that, that's like, that's my core tenant message. Now, do you think that when this becomes a little more widespread, when uh, kind of the average person can have access to having their uh, genome analyzed, do you think there'll be a big chunk of people that are like, oh, I don't want to know, right? There's that thing that inside of you, if there's some kind of marker for cancer or something, mm-hmm. uh, I think people would be very afraid of knowing that and just be like, let's let life take its course. And then as someone in communications, it's your job to explain to them why they should, right? Right. No, and, and you know, listen, I, I, I have brought this up many, many times, right? Uh, even though data is king, it can also be really scary to people. And um, I think there are, you know, and, and we know there are some people who elect to do different things with their health. And I don't think that we're pushing people to know more about their health if they don't want to. It's enabling the people who do want to know more about their health and who do want to have access to precision medicine to do so. I don't think it's, it's necessarily forcing everyone to, to, to know that data. And I'm sure that there are people who aren't going to want to know, right? I mean, even, mm-hmm. even, you know, I've thought about, you know, I got my whole genome sequenced and there was a period of time where I was laying in bed at night and I was like, do I really want to know what's going to come back here? Right. You know, cause, cause I have, my family has a history of cancer, has a history of rare disease you know, my brother is on the autism spectrum and we don't know if that's affected by, by DNA as well. So, you know, there's so many questions and even now, you know, I have the data sitting somewhere and there's a chance that, you know, we could discover something about part of the genome in 10 years and someone could ping me and be like, Hey, PS, it's on your genome. And I'm going to be like, wait, what, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's, um, it knowledge is power. And I think if, if you want to know, you should be able to know. That, that's the tough part is that you can't find out. There are so many people, even though there are so many people who don't have access to a doctor, there are also so many people who don't have access to you know, answers about their rare disease or their cancer that could yeah. benefit from that. So you know, I, I know it's going to be a tough sell to a lot of people who don't want to give up their data, and that's, that's totally fine. You know, it's, it's precision medicine won't be for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, as we found over the the course of the pandemic, there are many people who are <laughs> yes. odd opinions about their uh, health and how they uh, yes. take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Um, uh, uh, go, going back, going to your previous position at GM, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you had a big day where you hosted President Biden. And oh, yeah. I always wonder, <laughs> like... What kind of moving parts and behind the scenes stuff is going on there in order oh, to yeah. make that day go off without a hitch? So, um, as you can guess, the president doesn't set his visit schedule until a few days beforehand. So, oh. we had been planning the opening of Factory Zero, which was General Motors' first electric vehicle factory, manufacturing mostly their electric pickup trucks, which is a huge deal. And I also mm-hmm. think, by the way, is going to change the world. But, you know, I, I like I was a, I'm a huge proponent of EV still. Um, yeah. And so we've been planning this opening of this factory for months. 
right? Like I joined the company in uh, May of 2021 and we, we opened it in November. And when I joined, they were like, hey, there's this factory and we're planning to open it. And so the planning process had begun six months prior, eight months prior, you know, we were building it out. It was, it was the buzz around the company. Um, and so we had a lot of plans in place. And then a few days before we got a call that said, hey, the president would like to come, but can you move it back a day? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and I mean, I had, you know, I had networks coming. Um, we had the New York Stock Exchange ringing the opening bell on the floor of the factory. Wow. Um, oh, you know, we had crafted this big moment and, and I was part of the team that really wanted to emphasize this huge, like this is a huge moment for the, for the company and for, for such a legacy company. And then to say, hey, can you bump it back 24 hours? You know, in principle, oh, yeah. it sounds like, oh, just move it back a day, no problem. Mm. Um, you know, asking the New York Stock Exchange to move the bell back a day is a really big ask, right? And then, you know, I had to switch around some of the media because, you know, then not everyone could come. You know, it, then it becomes a pool situation. Like, it just it became an increasingly complicated situation. And it altered, to be honest the tenor of the story, right? Because then mm -hmm. it not only became like a GM story, it became a U.S. commerce and manufacturing story. Right. And that happened in the blink of an eye, right? So oh, it was, geez. it was, it was, it, but it proved the adaptability of the communications team, right? Like we had to jump into mm -hmm. action. We were all there in Detroit. We'd be like, okay, look, what do we need to change first? How do we need to change it? You know, we had to build... Um, you know, like you had to, you have to, you have to change how everything's laid out. Cause now all of a sudden, like the president's speaking, it's not just about us. It's about the white house too. And, yeah. you know, it's then, you know, we were pulling in cars from different areas and, and, you know, different EVs were coming in. Like it just, it was like a, it wasn't like quite a 180, but it was a pretty hard left turn <laughs> just yeah. in terms of logistics. Um, but you know what it's, it's you, you are so crazy for like five days and then it all goes off and you're like, like the day of, you're so not nervous because you're just like, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? Right, yeah. Like it's that's kind of what I've adapted. Point, well, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I've adapted to in TV news is like, you know what? You plan, 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 plan. And then day of, you have your execution plan and you just hope it goes right. Right. Yeah. Wow. And uh, did, it go, did it go right? It went well. It went awesome. You know, he got in the Hummer. He sped around in the Hummer. He did Watts to Freedom, which is the thing where you go zero to 60 in less than three seconds in the Hummer EV. Um, you know, he, he had his speech, all of our executives have their moment. We got to show off the factory. Um, Mary Barra was on the today show. Like it, I mean, for across the board, it was a win, you know, and it, there was a lot, there was a lot of worrying and wringing of hands as there would be when you're bringing the president of the United States to your facility. Right. But, um, yeah. you know, everyone was super happy with it in the end and you're like, okay, great. Um, and then it was on to the next. <laughs> yeah, right. I, it, I can imagine it's just like you know, running, running, running and hitting a wall uh -huh. and then just being like, I'm going to need a week off, you know. Um, yeah. But it's cool. You, you know, the president's a car guy, so I'm sure he was enthusiastic he about driving the. He was so, and, and we showed him the Corvette. So he owns a Corvette. Yeah. Right. So we got to we got to stick a Corvette in there somewhere, too, because, um, you know, he loves the Corvette. Um, and you know, it was, it's, it's exciting to see, you know, like you see the president talk about American manufacturing and the, and the auto industry all the time on TV. And then for him to bring it to life at the company that you work at is really, really cool. Yeah. Very cool. I mm -hmm. am a, I'm a big EV guy. I have one, have a Volkswagen that uh, oh, yeah. gets very low mileage. So I want to trade up for something else, <laughs> but I, I actually, I really I have some suggestions. 
Oh, good. I prefer yeah. driving an EV now over a, a gas car. It just it just rides so much smoother. The acceleration yep. is great. It's just so much more mm-hmm. fun. Like when I get in my wife's car after, I'm like, Ugh. like what is this yeah. old you know uh, medieval mm-hmm. beast I'm I'm riding in. Um, well, and and just really quick, that that's the point yeah. that that kind of comes across industries, right? As a GM, I kept telling people, just get in a car and try it. Get in an EV and try it, and I promise you're going to see the light. You're going to yeah. see the light compared to gas-powered vehicles. And in Illumina, it's kind of the same way. It's like, just see what the power of precision medicine can offer, and I promise you're never going to want to turn back. Right, right. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how yeah. the messaging kind of it, – it's all experiential, right? But to your point, you, yeah, you just proved it. You got in a car or an EV, you loved it. Yeah, and then I bought one. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, well, we're coming up kind of towards the end of our discussion here, and I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, David. Um, I want to talk for a second uh, about DE&I. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're passionate about DE&I, and obviously that's been a big discussion point over the last few years and important. Mm-hmm. So uh, where do you think we need to do more work in the PR and communications field in terms of DEI? So I think it's, I think it's a matter of um, making sure that you have all of the voices behind the scenes represented you know, um, I, I'm an openly gay person and I have always been involved in the LGBTQ ERG where, wherever I've worked. Um, and, and I think it's a matter of representing all the different views of the company and making sure that they're all taken into perspective, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and it doesn't need to be, you know, necessarily like a, like a status check every time, but I try to, to talk to all of our ERGs on a regular basis. And, you know, we had a, we had a chief diversity officer at Illumina um, and at General Motors too, um, you know, and it's also checking in with them to make sure that just all of our statements are, you know, sensitive to the moment. Um, I like to talk about meeting the moment a lot, right? And, and yeah. in this day and age, the moment changes literally from moment to moment, right? Like yeah. you never know what's going to happen. And so um, I, I try to make it a natural conversation with everyone who I'm talking to and trying to understand just where they're coming from. And it's, and I'm talking backgrounds, not only just, you know, race, but also gender, socioeconomic status, you know, geography at a company like Illumina, you know, we operate in 155 different countries. So there's so much to be learned from employees across the organization. And so that's why I try to just have organic conversations with people wherever I go, just to learn more about where they're coming from. and, And are we hitting the mark? Are we meeting the moment? Um, you know, and it's, it, and I try never to lose sight of that because I know how important that is internally. And it really is important externally too, as a company that if we're going to talk this talk about, you know, DE&I and sustainability and, and all, all the, all the really important intangibles that companies talk about now, um, I want to make sure that we're walking the walk too. And I think it just goes back to the way you approach at the beginning of our conversation. You're talking about uh, doing press in different countries and Mm -hmm. understanding how different people operate and being open to them. And it's that kind of idea of openness that allows you to better communicate with them. And, you know, um, and I think maybe in a DE&I strategy, it's the same thing. And especially in mass communications, you're talking to the masses just mm-hmm. coming at it from one perspective you're always going to come up uh short you know until you get as many perspectives as possible and i think that's kind of the right. the heart of the whole thing right you know mm-hmm. and you know you know you're never going to win with everyone right mm-hmm. 
But if you can get most people on board, that's where I see success, you know, but you, it, it's, it's also trying to talk to leaders and being like, you know, you're not going to hit everyone. Right. Right. But if we can hit most people, that's really where you want to, you want to see your successes and you want to see the, the tone of the message. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on PR 360, of David. Of course. Thank you where, for having me. No problem. Where can people follow you? Uh, what's, <laughs> what's the best way to keep up with what's happening? Uh, on the, uh... I think I think LinkedIn is probably the best, considering we don't know what's going to go on in the social media world. Um, so yeah. you know, you can you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm I am also on Twitter at David McAlpine or X, whatever you call it these days. Um, you know, for for as long as as long as that platform sticks around. Good, good. And good luck on getting your master's degree. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. No problem. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.